uh, as we think, as we look here in this passage, let's read this, this verse. I don't want to stand before you too long today. I want to go ahead into the message. Um, verse 31 through 34 in chapter 31 of Jeremiah. The Bible says, Behold, the days are coming says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in that day. I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant, which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity. And their sin I will remember no more. This is God's holy word. God, we thank you for your promise to us. We thank you for your blessings that you've given us. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that we sense in a powerful way in this place today. Now, God, have your way with this service. God, bless this service as we partake in your supper today. And God, we'll give you praise for all that's accomplished. God, we know you're able and you're willing to forgive those who don't know you through your son, Jesus Christ. We know you're able and willing to bring them into the fold if they would call upon the name of the Lord. So today, God, we pray that the Holy Spirit would convict their hearts, their minds. And God, that today that they would repent of their sins and call out to you and become your child. Oh God, we know that's your desire. God, help that to be our desire. Help that to be the desire of those who don't know you today. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. When we look in Jeremiah's writing, we find this prophecy. And, and here we're looking all the way in chapter 31. If we go throughout Jeremiah's writings, we find there's a section where Jeremiah pleads to the children of Israel to turn from their wicked ways or God's going to bring judgment upon them. Then Jeremiah uh, lets them know that because you haven't turned from your wickedness, God's going to bring judgment upon you. And judgment begins. And, and Jeremiah also shares with them some words of encouragement through, uh, through his prophecy. If you get to chapter 29, 30, and 31, you find a lot of encouragement. Even though they're hearing, they've heard from Jeremiah, because of your sin, because of your continued neglect, of God because you've went after other gods and you've and you've denied God because you have you have denied the prophets that God has sent to you God's going to send you into captivity he's going to take your land away from you your land will be desolate it will be destroyed your temple will be brought down to ruins he's told them all of this and in chapter 29 chapter 30 in chapter 31, we find hope. Jeremiah shares with them the grace of God in the fact that they're going to be 
they're going to be placed in captivity. We may wonder, where is grace there? Well, the grace is the fact that God gave them a number of years. That is grace. What that tells me is it ain't going to last for always. That there's coming a day when it's going to get better. He told them for 70 years they would be in captivity. That led them to know after 70 years because God is God and God is in control. He's going to bring them out of that captivity. I want to tell us that's the grace of God. That's the love of God. That's God letting us know that there's coming a day when things will get better. And I know right now in this life, in this day we're living in, things seem to be a little dark. Things seem to be getting dim. It seems like on every hand we're, we're hearing things we just don't want to hear. But I got news for us. There's coming a day when it's going to get better. I can't tell you when, but I know soon and very soon our, our soon coming king he's on his way and he's going to come to take us out of this mess yes when we come to chapter, these chapters we find such hope in them that they don't have to worry about their captivity for always now their sin put them in captivity but while in captivity, they're instructed to move forward. If you, if you were to look in chapter 29, verse 5, you would find that they were told to settle down, to build houses and to plant gardens. If you look in, in verse 3 of that same chapter, we would find that they were told to marry and, and start families and, 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 and have children and, and, and populate their, themselves. They were told in verse 7 to seek the peace and the prosperity of Babylon. Oh, that may not make sense to a lot of us, but the children of Israel being overtaken by Babylon, taken into, into captivity by, into Babylon, and God is saying, seek peace for them. And the reason is, if things are going well in Babylon, things are going well for those who are captive in Babylon. So their welfare was tied to the prosperity of Babylon. And they were told to seek God to grant peace to them. Basically, they were told to settle down because they were going to be there for a while. They would be there for 70 years years well in chapter 30 what we find is God uses Jeremiah to share that after their captivity Israel will be restored though it would be in ruins it would be raised up again and we've been studying that through in, in Bible study through the books of of Ezra and Esther and Nehemiah and here before they even began their ministries, Jeremiah's prophesying that it will take place. In chapter 31, God uses Jeremiah to share with that Israel will be rebuilt again. In verse 30, I mean in verse 3 of 31, Jeremiah said, The Lord has appeared of old to me, saying, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. Again, I will, I will build you, and you shall be rebuilt. Here what we see. I, I don't know if you see this, but God is sharing with them. I've never left you you've never been by yourself I've been right there with you and I don't know somebody might need to hear this today but I don't know what you've been through this week I don't know what the circumstances of this week has has been for you but what I do know no matter how bad it may have been God has seen you through because he hasn't left you he hasn't forsaken you he's been right there with you 
when we think about this that's taking place, Jeremiah is prophesying under an old covenant. And because it's an old covenant, there's problems with that covenant. When we look today, we see the prom in today's passage over in 31, we see the promise of a new covenant. And there wouldn't be a new covenant or the promise of a new covenant if there wasn't something wrong with the old covenant. So as we look here, we need to understand the problem with the old covenant. At the time of Jeremiah's prophecy, Israel was under the Mosaic covenant. We know that as the law of Moses, the old covenant. Uh, it, 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 it came into play or during the Exodus time with Israel. And this was a conditional covenant. They, their, their salvation was based upon the blood of lambs being offered up to God for sacrifice for those who wanted to approach God. This was basically a works-based covenant. Well, it didn't take very long when this covenant was instituted to really understand that the Mosaic covenant would one day be replaced with a new covenant. This is evident in the fact that before Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the commandments of God, the Israelites had already broke the first two commandments. Many would say that, well, they didn't know the commandments, so they can't be held accountable to their actions at that time for breaking the commandments. Well, the fact that the first commandment states that you shall have no other God before me, and the second commandment instructs us to, to not make for us a, a graven or a carved image, it should have been no brainers for Israel. We have to remember they had been in bondage for 400 years, and God heard the cries of his people. And God came on the scene through Moses. He used Moses to perform many miracles there in Egypt. And the final miracle which brought them out of Egypt. And that wasn't enough. God continued to use Moses to, to show the people that he was God. In the fact that they were caught between the Red Sea and the army of Egypt coming behind them. And God parted the waters. They walked across on dry ground. And God covered up and drowned the Egyptian soldiers. It wasn't just that. They wandered in a wilderness for 40 days and 40, I mean, for 40 years, never having to change their shoes. I want to tell you, that's a miracle within itself. I have to change mine every couple years. There's holes in them. They begin to blister and hurt my feet. I can't walk in them very good after so long. But here for 40 years, they didn't have to change their shoes. I want to tell you, God was in the midst of these people and they still fail to honor God here they are can you imagine being with them and seeing all the water in Egypt turn to blood could you imagine seeing them overtaken by locusts could you imagine seeing them being overtaken by frogs and other uh, things? Can you imagine walking around and you see people with boils all over them? You saw all of the, the plagues that came upon e Egypt. And then all of a sudden, Moses says, go home, prepare a lamb without spot and without blemish. 
He'd take the blood of that lamb and place it over the doorpost and the lintel. And the death angel would pass by. And throughout the night, they had to hear the cries and the wails of people who didn't believe God. But even in the midst of that, they saw the grace of God that he had passed by because their home was covered by the blood. I want to tell you, there should have been no reason any of them would have doubted God in that wilderness. But they did. They did. It wasn't, this wasn't the case that they would just believe even after the account in Mount Sinai, down through the centuries, in every generation, the Israelites broke the commandments of God. They failed to keep the terms of a covenant which they agreed with, a covenant that they said would be the pattern for their lives. How did they break it? Well, in Jeremiah 5 and 2, it tells us, it tells us that they bore false witness. In Jeremiah 5 and 8, it tells us that they engaged in adultery. In Jeremiah 5 and 12, it tells us that they denied God's worth as the truth. In Jeremiah 5 and 13, it tells us that they persecuted God's prophets. The Israelites broke the covenant. And by breaking the commandments of God, it, they were in no way able to please God. You know what? So has every, every human being born throughout history. We have broken the commandments of God. If you're sitting there saying, preacher, I, you don't know me that well, get over yourself. You've broken the commandments of God. Romans 3 and 23 tells us, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I love that little word, all, because it puts me in there and it puts you in there. With this in mind, if, we, if, the, if the only way we can come to God is to come to God through an old covenant, then we would all be cursed, wouldn't we? So we must ask the question, if we're unable to become righteous and acceptable to God through the law, why then would God give us this old covenant? Why would God give us this covenant of the law? Is it possible that God knew that we would think that we were so good <laughs> that he would have to accept us? <sighs> Well, if there, if there is none good but the Father in heaven, which Scripture says, is it possible? Is it possible that God gave us the law to make us aware of our sin? To make us aware of the condemnation that we have before us? Is it possible that God wanted us to become aware that we cannot boast within our own righteousness? Is it possible that God wanted us to come to the realization that we are sinners in need of a Savior. Romans 3 and 20 tells us, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. In other words, God gave us the law so that we would know that we are sinners, so that we would know that we would be redeemed. God gave us the old covenant so we would know that we needed help, that outside of ourselves, there has to be someone who's greater than us that could deliver us, that could redeem us, that could forgive us of our sins. God used the old covenant to point us to 
a new covenant. He used the old covenant to point us to our need of forgiveness, our need to be redeemed, our need to, for salvation. This is not a need just for the Jews, which the old covenant was for, but this is a need for the entire world. Galatians 3 and 24 tells us, therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. God has no interest in us serving him through force. Aren't you glad? There are some in this world I wished I could force to serve him. I wished I could. Boy, it breaks my heart to know that people are leaving this world and going into eternity without Jesus. But I'm so glad God fixed it the way he fixed it. You know why? Because if I, I, I know how I am, <laughs> which tells me a lot of you may be like me. There's some of you here who, when you're told you got to do something, <laughs> Something, some, this little thing called rebellion arise up and say, I'll show you. There, there's, some, there, there's, there's enough of that in all of us that if God forced us to serve him, we'd do it begrudgingly. We'd do it not, we would do it not wanting to. And you know, there's a picture of that during the millennial reign. Because during the millennial reign, when Christ reigns for a thousand years, everybody will be obedient to Christ. He's not coming back as a lamb. He's coming back as a lion out of the tribe of Judah. He's coming back to sit on his throne and to rule and to reign as king of kings and lord of lords. And everybody will follow his command, but everybody will not trust him. As their Lord and Savior. I'm so glad he's fixed it. To where he's given us a choice. The choice to realize who we are. Without him. And who we can be with him. Because when we realize who we are without him. And who he makes us with him. We want to serve him. Yes. God desires for, he desires and he longs after us to have a relationship with him. Besides, he took the time to create us. Every animal of the land, every animal of the sea, he spoke them into existence. But you and I, he didn't do that. He loved you so much that he reached down from heaven and formed us out of the dust of the ground. If that weren't enough for you, he formed us in his image and in his likeness. And if that's not enough for you, he reached out of heaven and blew into our nostrils and we became a living soul. No other did he take that much time with but you and I. Oh, <laughs> oh, God knew that we could not and would not please him through the old covenant. So he gave us a new covenant. One in which we could be made right with him. A covenant in which we could become the sons and the daughters of God. There's power. <laughs> power in this new covenant. It's a, it's a more powerful covenant than the old covenant. Because in the new covenant, God is the source of the new covenant. 
God identifies himself as the source of the new covenant. In New King James, we see six times. I think in the King James, you might see it five times. Uh, where Jesus, where God says, I will, in verses 31 through 34. As a matter of fact, in verse 31, he says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. If you go to verse 33, it says, this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my law in their, in their minds and write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother saying, know the Lord for they shall know me from the least to them to the greatest of them says the Lord for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin and I will remember no more God is the source of this not you and I not Moses not Jeremiah not Matthew Mark Luke or John not Paul not Peter but God is the source of this new covenant While God is the source of the new covenant, the true believers of Israel and Judah would be recipients of the new covenant. However, the new covenant would not be limited to only the Jews of Israel and Judah. The New Testament makes it clear that the new covenant was based upon the promised Messiah to come, the anointed one, the savior of the world. And because he's the savior of the world, this covenant would be offered up to whosoever will. Oh, aren't you glad you fall into that? At the Passover, before Israel left, they were instructed to kill this spotless lamb. We shared that. They were to take the blood of the lamb, put it on the doorpost, put it on the lentils, and the death angel would pass by if it saw the blood. But this blood was not sufficient. Each time Israel sinned, the blood of bulls, goats, lambs, or birds had to be spilled. A new sacrifice had to be offered up. But God had a plan. In his new covenant, Jesus Christ would come from come to this sin-cursed world. He would live a sinless life. He would perfectly obey his heavenly father. He would be justified to be the once and for all sacrifice for the sin of the world. On the cross of Calvary, Jesus shed his blood. His blood was sufficient to redeem all men, Jew and Gentile alike. On the cross, Jesus made it clear that his blood was sufficient for he said, and it is finished. There never need to be another sacrifice. Jesus will never go back on a cross. That one, that one time where he poured out, King James says he shed his blood. He poured out his blood for the sin of the world. Oh, and by Christ being the only sufficient sacrifice for sin. We now can come to God by faith in the finished work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If we place our faith in Christ as our Lord and Savior, then we become partakers of the new covenant. This is the covenant of faith. It's not a covenant of works. But do not be mistaken. This does not negate our responsibility to obey God's commands. 
Jesus did not come into this world to do away with the law. He come to fulfill the law. He demonstrated to us that we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. He demonstrated to us that we are to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And if we will keep these two commandments, we fulfill all the commandments. And it's when we fulfill the commandments of God that the world will know that we love him. But not only do we notice that God's the source of the new covenant, we also notice he's responsible. We see his responsibility in the new covenant. God takes the responsibility to establish. Listen to me. Don't miss this. God takes the responsibility to establish a personal relationship with those who put their faith in Christ Jesus. God does this through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. Once we place our faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit is quickened. He is made alive within us. And through, and through this, we become born again. And God begins a work in us through the power of his Holy Spirit to make us more like Christ. Romans 8 and 29 says, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined. To be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. He creates in us a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5 and 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away and behold, all things become new. So through the power of the Holy Spirit, God then begins to lead us. And guide us by teaching us his truth of his word. And he stirs us to obey his commands. And it's when we sin against God we, that we break God's heart. And when the Holy Spirit comes to convict us of our sins and stirs us to confess our sins. To repent of our sins and to renew our fellowship with him. For in 1 John 1 and 9 it says if we confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's through faith in Jesus Christ. Who is our mediator between us and God. We can't get to God no other way but through him. And because we can get to God through him. We have access to the presence of God the Father. And because we have access to his presence, we're able to live in an unbroken fellowship with him. But the Bible tells us <laughs> that we are to continually, continually confess our sins. Listen, I want us to really understand our responsibility in this new covenant. Is to place our faith in God's only begotten Son, our Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's our responsibility. Because if we genuinely place our faith in Him, we will seek to serve Him. We will want to please Him with because of all, not because we have to, but because of all He's done for us. We will seek to serve him out of gratitude. 
not out of force. For it was Jesus who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. But he made of himself no reputation. Coming, taking on the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And he was found in appearance as a man. And he humbled himself. And became obedient to the point of death. Even the death of the cross. Folks, our responsibility... Listen to me, if you're here and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, your responsibility to have access to God under this new covenant is to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. God's responsibility is to give the believers in Christ Jesus a new birth. God's responsibility is to make us a new creation. For the old things are passed away and all things become new. And that's done through his Holy Spirit. God sends his spirit to abide with us and to stir our hearts to please him. By obeying him and fellowshipping with him and confessing our sins to him. Let's not mix this up and think that we are to do God's part. We have a part to do. And that is to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Repent of our sins and confess him as our Lord and Savior. That is our part. And he's going to do the rest. But genuine repentance and genuine faith in Christ is evident. James says, (laughs) James says, show me. Your works, and I'll show you your faith. Because faith without works is dead. In other words, under this new covenant, if you belong to Jesus Christ, you will love Him so much that you'll want to serve Him. And those who can willfully sin without any conviction of the power of the Holy Spirit they've never been saved it's not a matter of them being in a backslidden condition a backslider experiences conviction but one who's never been saved they can sin and be okay with it I wonder where you are today as every head bowed every eyes closed I wonder, where are you? Are you in a place to where you know, you know that you are a partaker of the new covenant? That you know you've been born again, that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? If you are, you're welcome to this table today. You're welcome to take part in the Lord's Supper. And I pray that you've already received your elements. But if you're here today and you're part of those who can willfully sin and there's no conviction. I'm not talking about there's no 
that your conscience is bothering you. I'm talking about conviction where the Holy Spirit is grieved within you. And he's telling you to repent. Oh, I want to encourage you to repent. Renew your fellowship with God. Restore your relationship with God. If you're in a backslidden condition, that's all you have to do is just repent of your sins. Your name's been written, but you need to repent of your sins. As David said, Lord, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. But if you're lost and without a Savior, if you've never confessed Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you've never truly been born again, oh, you need to repent. But you need to believe in whom you're repenting to. You need to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And if you believe this, that is the hard part. If you believe he is God's only begotten son, that he came to earth and lived the sinless life and he died for the sin of the world. He arose on the third day and he's ascended back to the Father and he's coming back to receive his, his bride. If you believe this, then the question is, are you ready to confess your sins to him? Repent of them and receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior and then confess him to the world that he belongs to you and you belong to him.